You're listening to Errol Parker and Clancy Overall, editors of the Batuta Advocate on Desert Rock FM. Welcome back to the Batuta Advocate Radio Show. My name is Clancy Overall, editor of the Batuta Advocate, and I'm joined by Errol Parker, editor at large. Are you excited to get all that tax fraud over with, Errol? Look, it's not a tax return unless there's a bit of grey area tax fraud. I think uh, one good way to get audited in this country is to uh, present an honest tax return to the federal government. You don't want to give them too much money because what are they going to spend it on? Another submarine and another pay rise for some public servant grub. Mm. Yep. You know. So look, I think just as long as it's in you know good spirits, a yeah. bit of tax fraud is always welcome in this country. Yeah, and another good way to get audited is to make these admissions on a podcast that's listened to by quite a lot of people in Canberra. So please be kind to uh, those listening. You know, we love you. And Morrison's gone. You guys should be cheerful right now. Your jobs are safe. Leave us alone. Anyway, I'll get on with the podcast now. As our listeners would be aware by now, this podcast tends to go through running themes. During the election, as we just mentioned, we did something like 15 interviews with different politicians. We had our office rammed with puffer vest staffers. We spoke to a whole lot of people that were involved in the dark arts of federal politics, a whole lot of evil people, soulless people, cold, dead eyes. Lots of trade unionists in $700 riding boots. Yep, yep. Trade unionists with jet skis, all the toys, and, you know, all the greenies who, at the end of the day, are just as racist as the rest of them. But, you know, from there we kind of moved into... Rock stars. We had a lot of musos coming in. We went straight into the Hoodoo Gurus, Polish Club, and Troy Casadaly last week. Well, today I'm excited to have the opportunity to mix it up again and interview two people who make a living telling stories on the stage and on the screen. And I'm excited for this interview because we don't get many actors or thespians or directors or performers on this podcast, which is a real shame because they play such a very important role in both our culture and discourse. In fact, some would say that you guys are the real frontline workers. Thank you for joining us today, Shari Sebbins and Maine White. No worries. Thanks for having us. <laughs> <laughs> Hell of an intro. <laughs> now, you two have spent the uh, first half of this year touring the kind of critically acclaimed play. Touring, is that the right word for a play? Yeah. Yeah. We, yeah, yeah. we took it to more than one place. So <laughs> in theatre, that's yeah. touring. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, that, was, that was City of Gold, written by you and starring you, Maine, and um, directed by you. Shari, we'll get into kind of discussing what is required to put on a stage production of that scale in a bit, but I kind of want to talk about the two performers sitting in front of us. Maine from Kalgoorlie, Shari from Darwin, both graduates of NIDA, or as they call it in Batuta Clown School. I thought that Clown School was um, the Sandstone University in the heart of town. <laughs> yep, in the, the old city district, Batuta's uh, Polytechnical College that I, has, a, has if, a clown school there. If your university has any sandstone in it, it's not a university, it's a fucking country club. Yep. That's what it is. <laughs> Get out of there, kids, if you're listening. We do want to talk about the pathways, you know. Uh, I'm guessing, to get into this industry, they weren't handing out drama school flyers at Darwin High. <laughs> <laughs> no, they were getting Aaron Patterson to come and do talks to us instead. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> yes, no, they weren't. It was... Um, God, are we asking for, like, my origin story? What kick-started you? Well, if I trace the root of the seed of thespian dreams, um, it would have been when I was eight years old and Jimmy Chai, who is 
one of my uncles, uh, not Bloodway, but Respectway. Mm. Brand New Day had been touring around Australia and came to Darwin. And basically, I just saw a bunch of people that looked like my family on stage. It sounded like my family because they were my family, <laughs> throwing cherry ripes out into the audience. <laughs> and I was like, I'm sold, man. And then I started youth theatre classes when I was like 11 because my best friend did it. And at 13, I was like, Mum, I want to be an actor, uh, which is, you know, probably not what an Indigenous mother of six <laughs> wants to hear mm-hmm. from her fifth child (laughs) but she was actually incredible and was just like all right go for it and how about you man i think when i was about uh nine or ten like i think i'd always in the back of my mind i'd always wanted to be an actor or Mm. you know the the weird kid running around the backyard Mm. talking to himself (laughs) um but then my uncle was like oh i want to put him in and who my uncle was an actor and he went to whopper one of the first indigenous students at whopper 30 years ago he put me in a Domestic violence ad. And so um, I was the young kid that was going, you know, stop it, Dad, stop it. And then... um, Baptism of fire. Yeah. Yeah. Well, funny enough, he he gave me a note while I was was performing the ad and I was like, I don't... I don't think my character would do that. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think I've been a little shit from day one. But, um, yeah, I think I think that from from then on, it kind of was the bug bit me or whatever you say. Now, Shari, before you became a household name, you were in quite a hit movie, The Sapphires, for those listening at home. <laughs> what was it like to launch straight into the world of international film? It was mad. I guess it's kind of weird, though, because... You start at the top, so everything from there is downhill. Um, (laughs) And it's been a real, uh, you know, (laughs) equalising experience. No, it was was insane. I remember reading the script and just being kind of so enamoured with it, taken by it, and it was the first time I'd seen, you know, a a fair-skinned blackfellow, a a character that had my kind of identity in that way, not stolen generation because that's not my story at all and I can't lay any claim to that, but... um, yeah, it was it was pretty amazing. But I do remember when we were on the red carpet in Cannes and Deborah Mailman and Chris O'Dowd and Tori Kittles, who's in the film as well, they were like, oh, my God, this is the craziest red carpet we've ever been on, right? And they were like, right, Shari? And I was like, this is the first red carpet I've ever been on. <laughs> um, so it was kind of like, oh, well, whatever I get to do from here on out is a bonus. Yeah. Can't, eh? Yeah. yeah. That's what people, a lot of people sitting at home, probably you two when you were kids looking at, actors kind of take for you guys did then i'm sure you've learned now but i feel sorry for actors because everyone even their mates and family think they're living the life but (laughs) it's it's pretty grueling like i mean cool staying in a hotel let's not play down how luxurious that is yeah but let's not play down how old that gets yeah especially when you're jet lagged and you're moving around here and you're lonely and you hit the ground with that i only stopped working at jb hi-fi five years ago or four years ago so it's you know i think being an actor in Australia specifically is mm. quite a balance. But, yeah, I mean, it, it, yeah, it is. It, it's, you know, your family thinks – I mean, all my nieces and nephews certainly think I'm a millionaire. <laughs> and, uh, um, I'm not. <laughs> Ask Annie Shari for a loan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, don't. Um, no, look, I mean, yeah, like, you know, the hotels, all that stuff is great. But it's – I think the tiring thing is constantly – grinding at it whether it's theater because you can't live in one unless you sign your contract you know your life away to a home and away contract you're really just trying to maintain the gig so it's you know we're very fortunate in that we get to play on both stage and screen which helps fill out our year quite quickly and heavily yeah it's out of necessity really because you've got to go where the work is and 
you know, sometimes you have those dry patches, and every actor does. Yeah. But you have to fulfil that, you know, fill that time up in some way or form, and then you realise that you start drifting down another path or creating another avenue for yourself because, yeah, yeah really, it's just out of paying the bills, you know. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Shari's gone into directing. I've gone into writing. It's it's one of those things where, you, yeah, acting can't just be the one string yeah. in your bow, I suppose. Going to cast a wider net. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Options. Now, main. I just want to start. You guys had before City of Gold, the different iterations of it. There was one where you were starring in it, Shari. Yeah, twenty nineteen. I played the character of the sister. Yeah, and then moved into director. But did you work together on Redfern now before that, or did you work together before at all? Because I know you've both got Redfern now credits. Yeah, well, we um, actually uh, I, I I cameoed in the Sapphires. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. <Main> cameo. <laughs> yeah, I cameoed in the Sapphires. Yeah, so we've done. I guess we've done a movie and a TV show together, but we've never done a scene but together. Yeah, we were meant to be in the Red Fern Now episode together That's in right. that first season, but That's then right. I. What happened? I couldn't do it or something. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then I thank did the goodness, second season. frankly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Because it would have been weird. Um, <laughs> no, but we did it actually, our little, I guess our little theatre nerd stories, uh, 2010, we did a, a play together at NIDA. But we didn't actually do any scenes together again. No, yeah, yeah we've done. <laughs> <laughs> we've been, we've been swapping yeah, past each other We just don't talk time. to yeah. each other when we work together. <laughs> it's in our contracts. <laughs> now, Prior to that, prior to working together, prior to Redfern now, I guess, or maybe even during, Maine, you kind of are a product of another, aside from NIDA, another Australian celebrity factory in the shape of Ramsey Street. Yes. <laughs> Can you tell us a little bit about that experience? I mean, I'm sure it's the same as a lot of TV shows you mm-hmm. work on, but you were the first black man on Neighbours. Was that like a bigger job than the actual character? Like, there's a duty, or not a duty, but it's it's, it's something that's burdened on you. Like, yeah, you got to carry I, a bit. I think there's a certain responsibility when yeah. you um, because it, I think at that point they were just about to go into the 30th year of the show yeah. while I was there, and so I think they saw it as a big step mm-hmm. at the time of you know having an Aboriginal actor on the show full time as a main character on the show because I think originally they did have Justine Saunders and Tony Briggs and but they were all. Um, guest roles on the show and you know there for a period of time and then I became the main cast on the show but yeah I, I think definitely look they threw a lot of things at my <laughs> my character because he was gay he was also they got a two for that he, gay he, and black and he had PTSD because oh, right. he was a um, veteran in Afghanistan so oh, um, <laughs> he was a gay veteran yeah um, so and I ended up burying Susan on the show so um, <laughs> that was my claim to fame on, on, on the show but um, look I, I think more than anything it, it the other people that had auditioned for the role actually weren't just Indigenous actors. Yeah. So I think they wanted to cast a net, but I really think in the end they wanted an Indigenous actor on the show. Yeah. And I had a great time while I was there and yeah. I made a lot of friends and stuff like that. And then, yeah, like I, I think it's it's obviously an institution yeah. and it's limited in some of its you know storytelling capability, yeah. but it's the, what you sign up for. So I did my time, <laughs> as they say, and then... Um, they wanted me to stay on for for longer, but I had done, yeah, yeah, like I said, done my time. Yeah, right. And then what I want to ask is when did you guys start developing or start working on these other disciplines, you know, the uh, the directing and, and, and then the writing? Or is City of Gold your first crack at something like this? Yeah, for sure. And I, another thing that kind of came out of necessity again because mm. it was I was going for roles after I'd finished Neighbours. 
that I, you know, it was the run of the mill Aboriginal angry man mm-hmm. thing, and I, I was kind of over that. And I, I was sick of playing those particular roles and going up for them, and I just started to, you know, put pen to paper and just threw, you know, a couple of scenes together and went, hey, this is, you know, to a couple of theatre companies, I went, this is what I'm thinking, and then, you know, they, they went, well, here's some money, go and write a play, so... Mm-hmm. Then City of Gold came out of that kind of thing, and yeah, it's 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 out of knowing that I've always wanted to do that, but I you don't know that you want to do something until you do it, kind mm-hmm. of thing. So I, I think it came out it came out of that for me. Yeah, I've just got a big mouth in rehearsal rooms, and you know the nature of what we do as Aboriginal actors. Ninety percent of the work we do is new Australian work yep. because we don't revisit old texts. We very rarely revisit old texts that aren't black so it's even more rare to revisit a black play so yeah 98 percent of the work i'd say i do as both of us in theater is is new work so mm. you kind of you know i spent the first few years in the industry just silent and listening and, and then i got an understanding i guess of dramaturgy and narrative and structure and stuff like that and started opening my mouth more in in rehearsals and development and um it was on Battle of Waterloo at STC that the director sort of pulled me aside and said, when are you going to start directing? And I said, never, because I shit myself and it terrifies me. And it still does. <laughs> um, but um, then Sydney Theatre Company were very, very uh, generous in offering me the Richard Warrett Fellow, which is a program of theirs to support emerging directors. It's a sort of pathway into the industry, I guess, and the company. Yeah. And it's so really, I've only been doing it two years but it's been a chaotic two years. Yeah. <laughs> it's showing no signs of slowing down, which is <laughs> awesome. What drew you both to come to Sydney? Aside from NIDA, I mean, like, you're from our nation's prosperous west where they do have <laughs> a very famous school for actors and musicians. Was there something about coming to Sydney that you wanted to do or, like everything else, was it just a means to an end? Well, we actually, we both did the Aboriginal Theatre course at WAPO. It's the only mainstream tertiary drama school that offers a um, certificate in Aboriginal theatre and it's an extremely useful pathway for young Indigenous artists who are thinking about a career in acting or theatre or, you know, screen acting or anything. I actually think out of the last, I did like a little mental math thing in my head and I think out of the last 13 or 12 blackfellas to go to NIDA, Nine of them went to Whopper first. Yeah, right. So it really, it's, you know, it's a little pipeline. Look, I auditioned for Whopper and I'm still waiting to hear about whether I got in or not. They actually never told me. And I was such a stubborn head. I didn't pack my bags for Sydney or anything. And then I got a letter from NIDA saying two weeks' time. And I was like, oh, shit. All right. I remember graduating from NIDA and my mum was like, well, are you coming home now? And I was like, I can't. There's nothing happening in Darwin. Yeah. So, you know, it is it is definitely... Sydney's where the work is. Yeah, Sydney's yeah, where yeah, the work sure. is. Yeah. The centre of the universe is. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I kind of want to ask, because you had such similar pathways in, yeah. is it a bit like, like uh, other industries where, you know, you're a bit ahead, Shari, you're a bit ahead of Maine. Is there big raps on this... Young bloke at Whopper, he might be coming to NIDA. Like, did you know about each other? I mean, yeah, I, mean, I knew. Yeah, no, I, I mean, yeah, the Black Grapevine absolutely mm. works that way. I knew that Maine was coming from from Whopper mm. because Rick Brayford, the course head, head of course, told me. So it was a bit like you know, you got this young fella coming over. Look after him. You got to look after each other. Um, and we were quite lucky actually. There was one year at NIDA when. I was there, uh, Miranda Tapsell and Travis Cadona were the year above me and then the year below me was Maine and Guy Simon and Ben Gratz was in the movement course. So there was six of us in total, which was kind of 
unheard of for mm. NIDA to have that many black people in its corridors. So we were pretty fortunate. We had a great year there. We had each other to count on when it got to... <laughs> yeah. Too racism me. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, but um, yeah, no, you do. You, you know, and we all like we still do. Kind of, I think I sent a message just a few weeks ago, going like, "All right, who's out there?" Like, you know, we're always keeping tabs on who's around, who's coming up, and yeah. who we've got to keep an eye out for. So it's yeah, it's a supportive industry. My biggest thing is like, let's not become like, let's not do to each other what the white fellas do to each other, which is compete and you know tear each other down and apart. So, and yeah. gossip like crazy <laughs> over a crisp glass of chardonnay. <laughs> yeah. 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 Have you heard about him? Yeah, <laughs> yeah for sure. <laughs> so do you reckon there is a? Um, I mean, I guess a uh, an element to being a black actor in Australia where. You know, it's this thing of ours, you know. You've got this kind of network, this kind of uh, different kind of opportunities and then you've got this other network operating above or under. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. We get an audition. You hear about a project. The first thing you do is text the other mob and find out, you know, make sure that they're across it, get them onto their agents. What can you do to get your, you know, can your agent help out? Things like that. I'm sure there's times where we're like, no, (laughs) this is mine. (laughs) And then you don't get it. And then you don't get it. (laughs) So this kind of um, industry within an industry or this community within an industry, did you, when you were putting together City of Gold, you'd drawn straight on that, man? Yeah, I think there were different actors that I wanted to to be a part of the show. And, you know, we were lucky enough to get Shari and then my cousin, Matt, Mm -hmm. just... Nepotism, yep. but um, <laughs> no. But he was from Calgary, and the yeah. play was set in Calgary. And I don't think he'd ever gotten a fair shake, really. So I, I kind of was like, I think this is a good actor that needs to be seen, kind yeah. of thing. So he ended up, you know, coming in, stepping into the role, and then you know, it was about out of you know because we were working with Queensland Theatre Company and in Sydney, so you had to get particular actors from particular yeah, states, right. just the, just the way the um, industry works, yep. and yeah. which is a good thing because yeah. then you're seeing talent from. Yeah. You know, so it's not a Sydney kind of. Yeah, yeah, for sure, yeah. and it can very much become that. Yeah. You know, and then you're you're missing out on talent from around the country. Mm-hmm. So it's actually a good thing. So yeah, and I, and I think particularly with that particular play that you know we, we got to work with each other. That as we'd said before, you know, we hadn't had, actually had that opportunity to work with each other on stage <laughs> together. You know, so yeah, it was a lot of fun, and you know, there was a couple of shows that. It went off the rails. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I want to talk about the off nights. Everyone's got an off night somewhere. Like you could yeah. be. It, it depends. It doesn't matter what you're in. Doesn't matter if you if it's work or it's family. You know, you yeah. go to yeah. see family. You go to see stay with your family for two weeks. There's one night there. Yeah. Where it's, yeah. <laughs> like like just as long as it happens in somewhere like Toowoomba. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. 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 I think that was our off night yeah. on, our, on our national tour. I walked out into the Jeffrey Rush Theater in Toowoomba. I walked out and said. Oh. G'day, Townsville. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and and it was it was the evening of the Melbourne Cup, so we we were going out there, and there's just these blokes in stripy shirts who are barely keeping it together, (laughs) (laughs) eyes rolling around in their heads. They were asleep by the end of it. That's it. Good night. With stage, like this is all hands on deck. This isn't Mm -hmm. like. I know TV's grueling, and I know you can be away for months at a time, but you've got the whole team, or at least a template of a team, interchanging a few people state by state. What is that like? And and I also, with a play like this, City of Gold, which kind of first came to national attention 
if you hadn't already seen it uh, in your first iteration, it, you had a monologue on uh, ABC's Q&A at the height of the Black Lives Matters protests in 2020, which just from that, I don't, I'm not sure how long that goes for, six minutes? Four, about four. Four think, minutes. Yeah. Looking at that, I'm thinking, this is such a deeply personal and emotional and heavy thing to deliver to the world on TV. I mean, it goes viral, which is probably less taxing of you that it just gets to keep playing on the internet mm. rather than doing it every night in mm. different cities. What is it like on the road with such heavy subject matter? Oh, look, I, I, I feel like no matter what, when I came into doing the first season or the second season, I mentally prepare myself yep. six months yep. in advance, just knowing that I have to go, because the play is such a personal play for me, because yep. you know, it's about losing my dad and subject matter, we start talking about Aboriginal deaths and custody and mm-hmm. stuff like that. So I think I've always in the back of my head knowing, you know, this is where I have to go. So mm-hmm. I have to prepare myself that in advance, but... In the end, I think you come to a point where you're, you're playing a role like anything else mm-hmm. and, you know, you're a character and sometimes you just got to go there technically, <laughs> you know, yeah. and make sure I got to hit the performance there technically yeah. every night. And sometimes that can be a good shield almost. Yeah. So, you, you, yeah. you're not making sure that you're looking after yourself. And each theatre company that we worked with had a counsellor on, on board. Yeah. So, in case you needed to chat to someone about yeah. that. But I think more than it was pretty tiring because yeah. with theatre it is unfortunately overworked, underpaid. But um, sure. but it's just the nature of the beast a little bit. Yeah. But in the same token, there's a lot of opportunity in the play where we get to fuck around and yeah. you know crack some jokes and stuff. So pressure valve. Yeah, yeah, just so you're you have a balance there, I suppose. I think there's also a resilience that blackfellas come in with. Mm-hmm. You know, living your whole life as a blackfella in this country, you kind of come in knowing what stories are coming at you. I mean, for me, especially the first time around, it was actually the play that I think I'd done that felt the most truthful to my experience. Maine and I are both members of the DDC, the Dead Dad Club, and he wrote this incredible monologue and it's a, it's a you know, not a too long a piece, but it, it was quite, conf- that was quite confronting for me because I was like, oh, this is someone tapping into my grief, mm-hmm. not my black grief or my, you know, my black trauma, but actually just my grief as a human. And so it took me a while to kind of work into that and be able to deliver that every night without getting caught up in it. But also, yeah, like, you know, we are just a bunch of dickheads. We like being idiots before the show goes on and, and as soon as it finishes. So there, it's almost like I always say with black work, as deep as it is on stage and dark and unsettling or confronting is as mad as it is backstage. J- jokes and the you know what you have to do to keep everybody buoyant and alive and, and get them through the five week run. But also you know like main I think you had maybe four scenes off that entire play. Like it's also yeah. just a taxing yeah. technical piece of theatre yeah. for main. Another question I want to ask is you're talking about um, how what you're doing is telling black stories. Black people telling black stories, mm. which I'm sure you've been involved in many productions where that wasn't the case. <laughs> um, where there were still black stories, though. <laughs> <laughs> um, King Lear. Yeah, <laughs> 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 we just rewrite a few things. <laughs> Scottish or, or, King. Or, or just, you know, <laughs> yeah. like, you know, white directors, white writers have this great idea, but for whatever reason, their great idea keeps going into this experience that they haven't had. And it's based around these characters that they've never met. And, you know, it's a bit different. City of Gold is not that. Yeah. But what, what I do want to ask is, what other stories would you guys like to see? You know, aside from your own and, and, and your community and, and, and the stories that have been told here, City of Gold is set in Kalgoorlie, a town that doesn't get much cultural representation on the screen. You hear about it a lot during elections, but you don't really uh, 
get to hear those stories from Kelly. So you've got like a rural thing, and and not just a small town. We love it. Australia loves a good outback thing, but it's like Kalgoorlie is a pretty big town mm. in the scrub. And then we get to hear from you know the black voices within that town and surrounds. What else do you think could be told in Australia? And you know, not stories could easily be stories that you have nothing to do with. There is a a whole lot of stories not being told. Yeah. Have you have you seen like some talent or some um, you know at least archetypes and, and and different yarns that you think could be brought to the fore? Yeah, totally. I mean, I think God, you, you find out a little bit about each city or town or yeah. you know country in this in this land. And what was the thing I was reading about? You know, the two fellas that got in that canoe and saved what thirty people over two days or something, or sixty people over two days at the Gundagai floods. Like mm. you're like, that's a friggin' yarn I'd love to see. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. you know, historically there's so many, but there's also this kind of cool, I think what's really exciting, and you know, you can't help but look to America because it saturates us, but you look overseas and it's like, you know, you get Issa Rae with Insecure or you get Michaela Cole with Chewing Gum or um I May Destroy You or you get Childish Gambit, Donald Glover with Atlanta and it's like the future of storytelling when it remains in control of the people who are telling yeah. the stories, the community it's representing, that's when it gets exciting, yeah. I think. Yeah, yeah, and you get some young writers who come through, like, you know, all my friends are racist, Enoch you know. Miami, yeah. yeah, Enoch and, you know, and Davey in that show as well. Like, mm. you get some young voices that you show a particular point of view of, like, um, Aboriginal people that you go, oh, I haven't seen this mm. before and uh, this is fresh and I don't know how to write that story. Yeah. So I'm, I'm glad I'm fucking seeing it, you know. Yeah, and, yeah. and there are some things where I, I'm excited by things that I don't know. That's, yeah. that's more interesting to me than seeing something that I've seen a million times, yeah. you know. And I, I think that kind of stuff is... I would never be able to do that. Mm-hmm. So I had more the fact that I'm getting to see something that I've never seen or I, I can't write myself. So mm-hmm. th- that's exciting to me. There's this film that's just been released, which is an all-first time of production called Neverland. And it's like a Polynesian Western Sydney crime thriller. Yeah. Bit of two hands, bit of like that yeah, kind yeah, of yeah. Like, bunch of kids yeah. have money that they need, you know, they need yeah, to recoup yeah. their losses. It's great. And it, I went and saw it and, um, you know, they've got all that drill music too. So it's like a bit of a rap musical too. Yeah. But then they had this bloke uh, introducing, you know, the night. He was Lebanese, and he said, "I think this is so great for the Polynesian community because, uh, you know, the Lebanese community we too feel underrepresented in screen." And as he said that, all the Lebanese blokes in the crowd yelled, "Mate, we've got the combination! We've got, we've got the combination!" It's one of those things where it's like every single Lebanese Australian has seen the combination, yeah. and you know, there's probably 10, 20 combinations that yeah. you can do. It doesn't always have to be crime, as well, yeah. mind you. But yeah, there is that thing happening in Australia, and we see it in census where actually maybe the uh, surfy dramas aren't yeah. really uh, yeah. aren't really representative of the entire nation anymore. Look, I, I I don't think I know any surfers. You know? <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> can surf. Tim Well, that speaks volumes. <laughs> he must have ripped abs, Tim Whitten. <laughs> Is there a um a medium that you prefer to tell your stories in? I mean, like you've done, you know, like plays television and big movies small movies is there something that you like prefer doing oh whatever pays the most (laughs) um no look i mean look the theater nerd in me will always love theater i think there's a a process that you don't get with stage and with it that you don't get with screen sorry television or film which is like collaborative nature of it you get four weeks to rehearse on theater you know 
film, you might get maximum one week. Yeah. You might get to meet an actor before you do a scene with them. You might get two days. Who knows? I really love that for that reason. But, uh, you know, there's just something about where film and screen can take you. I think the mediums each particular have a, a way of telling a story. In theatre, you got to hit the person in the back row and your performance has to be a little bit larger than life yeah. um, just so everyone's being able to see and identify what's, what you're doing on stage kind of thing. But you also have a little bit more control when you're the actor because there's no stop, there's no cut. So you're, yeah. you're continuously performing and, you know, if the dire- if you don't like the note that the director's given you, it's like, well, I'm not going to do that. I'll just do it the way I'm going to do it. Tell me more. Yeah. But um, on film, the scope of w- which you can tell the story, you can leave location and you can you can go in back and forth and that kind of thing with film and television is interesting because it has to, you have to strike a chord visually and I think on stage it's about the word, you know. So in that way, look, I, I have a lot of fun on the stage because I can be as big as I want to be and as stupid as I want to be. But then on film you also have a camera there that reads every single movement that an eyebrow twitch is mm. fucking reads and he's Massively. got an eyebrow this bloke. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I saw it in the Archibald. <laughs> but, we, haven't, we haven't even gone there yet. Yeah. Archibald finalist, Moon White. <laughs> but yeah, you know, so like there's those things where it's, it's just a different medium that it's a different way of storytelling. Yeah. Um, mm. But yes, film and television pays a lot more. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, so you look after your soul by doing, you know, some stage and some theatre. That's and if totally you, it. you want a car with airbags. You know, <laughs> yeah. John, yeah. Like, you want a car. <laughs> but, but also film and television, you, you get a bigger audience, yeah. you know, and you're, yeah. you're able to hit people that come and see a Sydney theatre production, you know what yeah. I mean? And so uh, that's yeah. also a thing that, you know. Yeah, accessibility. Yeah. I kind of yeah. want to talk about that too because you guys are, you've got the whole story, you know, the story's accessible. You mm. guys have, and you guys have kind of put yourself in that industry and uh, put your stories in there and put them out there. Where do you see the breakdown there? Because at the end of the day, you ask any suburban or rural bloke your age yeah and this is just for the blokes mostly but their idea of theater is world wrestling you know yeah. what i mean like that's, that's, yeah. 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 And they, um, and let's say they, they have been introduced to some very shakespearean themes over the years <laughs> and, uh, and storylines but you know it does miss a lot of the people and, totally. and unfortunately it misses a lot of people who need to see your play yeah i think Look, theatre is a very, unfortunately, elitist yep. kind of um, way of storytelling mm-hmm. because it, it's not accessible in that it costs a lot of money, mm-hmm. unfortunately. And you you get a lot of people who, um, you know, are older generation yep. and ticket prices are high. And yeah. some of the theatres aren't very um, accessible for people living with disability yep. as well. So I, I feel like a lot of changes need to be made in, in those areas yeah. for theatre. I think there's a great reckoning to be had after the last two years about accessibility in the arts and mm. you know what do we, we we learned very quickly just how how easy it is to cast something into somebody's computer screen or lounge room because they cannot get to a building and I think that's something that's fallen by the wayside we've forgotten you know we dropped that in a minute uh once we were all allowed back in and it's complex like you know with black theater because Theatre is elite, but black theatre really started from a place of, you know, the National Black Theatre started by Uncle Bob Mazza and um, Gary Foley mob in the 70s. 
60s, 70s, sorry, started because they were activists and protesters who realised that politicians weren't turning up to protests. And if we put on a play and invite them to an opening night... Well, their wives will come. (laughs) Then they'll be front row because, you know, Polly's love a free ticket and a free drink. Their wives will drag them there because this is an industry, (laughs) this is a social thing that we need to do. Absolutely. So, yeah, I mean, the roots of it... For Aboriginal mob uh, protest, really, yeah, that's that's what it remains still. You know, no matter no matter the story, the mm-hmm. the very existence of it is political. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think you know, there's been conversations for decades now about a national black theatre body mm-hmm. and what that could look like. But I think everyone's kind of going, well, if we have one, then then all the companies can stop producing black work. And it's yeah. like that's not the answer either. No. Every company still needs to produce the black work, and we actually just need more companies to produce more work because yeah, mm. these kids in Darwin or you know in Darwin, a capital city, like they're not getting anything. So the kids in bloody you know Ramanguinny aren't getting yeah, anything, yeah, yeah. getting even less. It's tough. I think. National theatre in, in, in the UK is doing, you know, like they're doing a lot of filming and they've found this kind of niche model vehicle to get their plays to more audiences, which I think is working. And that's probably the next stage for us yep. here in Australia, I reckon. We've spoken around the story in City of Gold and I haven't discussed it too much because I don't know, is this the end of it? I didn't even want to go down that path and kind of spoil the story for those who hadn't seen it. Have you retired this play? You've just you've done uh, Perth and Sydney. <laughs> I think on the last week, I kind of said that this was going to be the last time I was going to do it mm-hmm. to sell tickets. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, look, just that's what John Farnham's yeah. thirty years. <laughs> the last time, the last Final time he was being Jack, pile in. <laughs> um, look, I, I think it, the show has been a taxing kind of show, yeah. and I'll never say never, but it, it look, I, I think. If the right zeros are at the end yeah, of the sure. check, no. Um, I think um, turning it into maybe a film or a television yeah. show is probably a, a, a next step. That and, that's, is, and it's less taxing. Like, you know, yeah. you, get, you get to do that one amazing performance. Yeah. And that's it. You don't yeah. have to do that every night in every city. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I, I think um, that's an avenue that it could be mm-hmm. going Ham, ham. Streamers. Ham, ham. <laughs> <laughs> well, like, it would... It would bring it to a much wider audience. Yeah. I mean, mean, it's like, it's quite hard to, as you you did say, to get into a theatre. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Everyone can watch it at home if they've got, you know, internet and television. Yeah. So I I think that's where it could be going down. I keep saying could. (laughs) For me, the industry, the the way it works is like it's not done until you're there on premiere or something, you know what I mean? So um, Especially after COVID. Like, especially after COVID, no one's... Planning any, yeah. Like, like, yeah. Oh, we had this cool conversation the other yeah. day, but now we're in lockdown for four months because yeah. of fucking baby cron or whatever. We're yeah. Doing so, um, yeah. Look, I, I think that's um, something that's an exciting way of looking at where that could go, and I think there's a lot of things that uh, you could explore from the play that originally, you know, because we cover a lot of themes in, in, in the show. But mm. City of Gold had been a vehicle for me to be able to show what I can do, mm-hmm. and I'd never been given that opportunity before. Mm-hmm. So I just made, you know, you forced the door open, yeah. I suppose. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's a hell of a production, and congratulations to both of you. Thank, Thank you. you. I do want to ask now about the blooper reel. Tell us what nights were the funniest. Uh, <laughs> when did COVID come into play? What? what how do you how, tell us about it now? <laughs> Did, did any light fall from the roof? I or? think in the original show, <laughs> in the original production in 2019, I think we corpsed 
a few times. Like corpse. I'm, I, yeah, corpse, corpse. Yeah, so corpsing is it, when... No, that was the Kalgoorlie night. We had all your family. Yeah. Ooh, we had a, a Griffin, which is, you know, what, a 110-seat theatre, not even. Smaller, smaller as big that. as this room. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and about, God, 20 of... Oh, yeah. No, 13 to 20 of Maine's family were there. From Kalgoorlie. From Kalgoorlie. So literally... Every single every line, single line, the name of a street, the name of a shop, everything just got the biggest black laugh and response. And the white fellows were probably quietly shitting themselves in the Well, audience. they were laughing at the at the black fellows laughing, yeah. you know. Yeah. Yeah. And they felt way out of the loop. Yeah. Is that the theatre that suddenly the Coke's on? Yeah. 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 In the cross. Yeah. 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 Tiny little space. And um, yeah, no, we we actually got to the final scene. Yeah. Moments before, I guess, you know, one of the most devastating moments in in the climactic moments in the play. Main, main corpse to line. And I said my line, and then Maine just looked at me. <laughs> and then his family started laughing. Yeah. <laughs> and then he looked at me, and, and I just went, I went, it's your line. <laughs> yeah. we, we, I think we laughed for like a minute. Like, yeah. It took us about a and minute. And the audience just started pissing themselves. So we're all just on stage. Just like, yeah. Biting our lips. Yeah. And, you know, it's, um, well, that was leading into the, the climax. biggest to the, moment. To the climax of the play. Yeah. The, um, of the, so the audience went on the most insane emotional yeah. roller coaster. Yeah. <laughs> they yeah. like fully opened their heart yeah. chakras. Everybody was laughing. Yeah. And then we absolutely just destroyed them yeah. um, about 45 seconds later. Yeah. <laughs> but God, this time, I mean, we were in Perth and we'd arrived in Perth and um, COVID hadn't happened. Yeah. <laughs> so we were suddenly, you know, it was like going into a time-space portal, like literally, yeah. you know, these mob just had no idea what was coming at them. And, and we knew, we were kind of like, yeah. we were we were even hesitant about, do we go? What yeah. do we do? And they came in, you know, sort of gripping their hat in their hands, like, oh, we're down to 50% capacity. And we were like, yeah. 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 <laughs> That's <laughs> life. That's been the last two years for us. Yeah. Um, and so... It kind of took a hit that way, but, you know, we packed out the 50% capacity audiences. And actually, oh, God, the biggest glaring COVID was we actually didn't get to do our final night here in Sydney yeah, right. because Maine got COVID. I got COVID on, on the final day. So on the Friday, the second last night, I got called in to rehearse in an actor, one of the white fellas who's, like, got three scenes in the play. So I came in and rehearsed him and then Maine sat there on the couch and went, I'm going to have COVID tomorrow. And I was like, don't say it. And he was like, Miles just spits in my face for the first 15 minutes of the play. And then I got a message at next, the next morning at 10 a.m. And, you know, one act of, with three scenes, it took us half a day to rehearse in. Maine is the, you know, entirety of the show just about. And we were like, oh, well. Have a day off. Have, have a day off, you mom. So the last two shows, actually, we didn't get to do them. Yeah. Oh, right. Yeah. yeah. Oh. It wasn't actually as... Um, I didn't feel as sad about it as it was just like, oh, well, yeah, that's yeah. it kind of thing. And, 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 we had a good run. Yeah. And, the, and yeah. the audiences are used to it. Too. Yeah. The yep. are, if they had tickets, yeah. they know yeah. how the world yeah. is yeah. now. Like, yeah. yeah. And, but yeah, we did have an, an an actor the night before come in last minute and that was Yeah, a, we had a guy on stage. It was hilarious. On a, on his because he, he was dear on the headlights because <laughs> he, he was so good at the rehearsal and then he got on stage and he was like, Oh shit! As I was like, move over here. Move over there. Yeah, he had twenty minutes to learn an entire place. Yeah. So yeah, that was yeah. hilarious. I guess you know because you had to miss your last two shows. That's almost an omen that this thing has to continue in one way or another. <laughs> City of Gold. Congratulations, guys, and uh, thanks for coming in. We'd love to have you back in here to find out what you're working on next. Yeah, thanks. Thank for you. Us. Thanks for having us.